From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. And welcome back to the CQ Budget Podcast, and Happy New Year to all of you. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker, and we kick off the first episode of the new year with some exciting news in budget land. We have a new bipartisan deal on top-line spending levels for the current fiscal year. Leaders of both parties announced the new accord on Sunday. They usually love to announce these things on a Sunday for some reason, and this year was no exception. But this new agreement looks suspiciously like the old agreement they had last year that was part of the debt limit suspension law, people probably remember, with just a few little tweaks to it. Uh, There's still the risk of a partial government shutdown this month because they now have little time left to complete final appropriations bills before current stopgap funding expires, with the first deadline for some federal agencies coming next week, if you can believe it. Even though they're just getting back in town from the long holiday recess uh, Monday, as we tape. So there's a lot to untangle here, and joining me to do that is Aiden Quigley, the appropriations reporter for CQ Roll Call. Welcome back, Aiden. Yeah, thanks for having me. And Paul Krozak, the senior budget writer at CQ Roll Call. Thanks for being here, Paul. And thank you, David. So guys, we have a new agreement on overall discretionary spending, which is right in line with last year's agreement. It basically gives defense a roughly 3% increase over last year and keeps non-defense spending essentially flat, but it does that by preserving this so-called side deal uh, that we've been talking so much about over the past year that they reached last year, this side deal that has a lot of sleight of hand kind of accounting maneuvers that provides them some extra funding amounting to about $69 billion on top of their official allocation for non-defense spending. Combined, that keeps non-defense relatively flat. It's what Democrats had insisted on to get a deal, even as uh, House Republicans were eager to make more cuts. Any, who's the winner and loser out of, out of this deal? And, and um, it kind of baffles my mind that it took them an extra eight months to get here after reaching the deal last year. And we're sort of still in the same place, it feels like to me. It just took them a hell of a lot longer to get there again. Uh, Aiden, what do you think? Who comes out on top here? Yeah, I mean, it's been a long, long journey to get here. And the place that we have wound up is exactly the place where we kind of always thought we would end up, at least the place where I thought we'd end up, which is the debt limit deal uh, with the side deal. You know, there are some tweaks to it. You know, I know that um, the speaker's team is, is happy to be receiving the additional COVID rescissions. And, you know, the IRS decisions, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about later on, those are kind of the two key new pieces. But I think overall, okay, let's take a step back. At the time of the debt limit deal, I thought it was a win for Republicans on appropriations. So I think I'm going to I'm going to stick with it. I think that's a better deal than they could have gotten in a normal appropriations negotiation. If there why, was no- why do you say that, that it's a win for Republicans? Because, you know, the Democrats control the Senate and the White House, and we're flat on non-defense spending with the defense boost. Obviously, they use their leverage of the debt limit, you know, to achieve that end. But I think that overall that those funding levels are a win for Republicans. Obviously, the House Freedom Caucus wants more and won't see it the same way. But if you look at the 
at the state of play as it stands. You know, the Senate, additional Senate money was tossed out. We ended up at spending levels at the debt limit agreement, you know, where the debt limit agreement was, which is closer to what Republicans would want than Democrats. And I think better a better deal than Republicans could have gotten without the leverage of the debt limit. And yet you'd hardly know it's a victory for them because there's an awful lot of angry House Republicans right now, I think, uh, at least on the, you know, on the party's right flank who are, who are saying this is a sellout. This, you know, it's not as good as they're making it look like. And we wanted some sharp spending reductions on non-defense and we're not getting it. Um, Paul, how do you see it? Who comes out on top here? Yeah. So I think Republicans come out on top in this, you know, renegotiated debt deal. Um, and I point out a couple different things. So they, um, uh, th- this deal includes less emergency spending, which would have been used for base spending. Um, it keeps the same amount of emergency spending used for base discretionary spending as last year. So, so it cuts out some of that. And then it also cuts out um, a certain amount of uh, basically mandatory spending um, offsets. This, this is mandatory spending that was not going to be spent, which would have been used as an accounting maneuver to provide an offset for this side deal. Um, so, uh, so this takes out those two different areas of spending, which were in the deal before. Um, and so I think that, I think beyond what Aiden said, I think that is an illustration of how Republicans came out ahead here. Well, let me let me be play the contrarian a little bit here uh, because they had this deal last year. Uh, maybe you could argue it was a win for Republicans last year when the debt limit deal uh, was enacted last June. But for the past eight months, Republicans have been battling to pare down spending even more, right? I mean, that was why this has been a stalemate for the past eight months was the argument that last year's debt limit deal wasn't good enough and they needed to see sharper spending reductions, certainly to get anything through the House. And this deal doesn't get them that, right? I mean, we're in the same place we were last year. Democrats were saying, we we negotiated these top lines last year, that's what we have to live with, and that's sort of what they got now, you can argue that the Senate wanted to do some emergency spending, sure, that that would not be allowed now. So that's a win for uh, Republicans there. That's that's legitimate. But boy, overall, I think, you know, Johnson didn't really get the, the, the extra spending reductions that his caucus was demanding here. Democrats did toe the line and, and, and made sure that uh, these numbers weren't changing from last year overall. Now, there are some little gives and takes here that Johnson is pointing to as a victory, right? Uh, Aiden mentioned that. Uh, and, and I think the basic, he's claiming an extra $16 billion in, in savings here, Johnson is, because there, there's another $10 billion they're clawing back from IRS for tax enforcement money. So he can claim that, and he can claim $6 billion that they're tapping from pandemic aid that was going unspent as an extra savings here. So he's pointing to those and saying, "See, look, we got extra, we got extra spending reductions." But you know, Democrats are saying they already agreed to that ten billion dollars for the IRS. They're just sort of advancing that instead of in, instead of the next fiscal year, they're going to tap that now. 
they had already agreed to that in the COVID rescissions of six billion really isn't that much. And Democrats were clear that's not going to affect any anti-COVID programs they have running. You know, those are those are pretty small things. These are not. Um, I mean, I, I think by any objective standard, those are not major budget items at this point. Yeah. So, I mean, I think if you look at it through the lens of, you know, if you just start looking at where the deal was last summer to now, you know, Democrats held held their ground and and you know, got the deal that they had agreed to essentially with some minor changes, you know, from last summer. But I, I think it's kind of more important, I guess, to take a step back and look at last year versus this year and where we stand. And, you know, I, I think that's kind of the more illustrative way to conceive of the appropriations process versus, you know, the fighting that has happened over the past eight eight or so months. But if you do look at it through that eight months lens, yes, Democrats did held, you know, hold strong and get the deal that they had uh, agreed upon initially, more or less. I mean, I think we'll, there will be a debate over you know the $16 billion that we've been talking about, the $10 billion in IRS and $6 billion um, COVID, but uh, uh, small potatoes um, compared to the, the total price tag. Yeah, I would make two points here. So um, what, number one, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's very hard to imagine that they would have ended up in a much different place from that original deal, because that original deal was, it was, you know, part of it was actually in the statutory language of the debt, debt limit increase law. And the other was the, the unwritten side agreement. And so, you know, as Aiden mentioned, when you have, you know, Democrats control the White House, they control the Senate. Republicans have a very narrow majority in the House. It's hard to, you know, Republicans were asking for a lot and demanding a lot, especially the conservatives, it's very hard to imagine that they would have gotten anywhere close to what they were asking for. The second point is, um, you know, going back to the, I, I don't want to get too much in the weeds here, but, you know, you've got this thing sort of called the baseline, the, the projected spending and the baseline. And what Republicans got rid of here, they got rid of you know, ten billion um, in in mandatory offsets, and they also got rid of, I think, in the neighborhood more than more than ten billion, twelve billion, something like that, um, in the emergency spending that would have been used for the base. If they would not, if those had not come out of this deal, then when they are negotiating the spending next year, Democrats could argue to keep those in the deal. And so then they become a semi-permanent part of the spending baseline. Again, I, I, I don't want to get too much into the weeds, but the, this deal includes, uh, what is it? I think $15 billion in annual mandatory offsets. Those have become sort of part of the baseline. What they did, it's not as noticeable this year, but by taking this, these offsets out of the deal, it it prevents them from becoming part of annual higher spending next year. So that's where, I, that's where I see Republicans having a win here. One other thing that is essential to point out here is when we say Republicans, House Republicans is who we're talking about. Senate Republicans, they want a lot more defense spending than, than is being funded in this deal. Um, they were not happy at the time with the debt limit deal. 
they were insisting on additional defense spending that is, does not seem to be happening, especially as you know the supplemental is stalling out. So we're really kind of in a place where you know Senate Republicans and defense hawks are are, are not looking at this agreement um, that fondly. Will they stand in the way of passage? No, they will not. You know, keeping the government open, getting out of the CR situation, which the Pentagon hates, you know, will be enough for them. But it's something to keep an eye on as we as we move forward. Uh, any insights, guys, as to why it took so long to get to the same place they were already at last year? I mean, this was a th- these were, these were months of talks <laughs> that ended up ended up really changing almost nothing. I mean, look at all the time they've wasted. That they're so far behind now. I mean, we should remember this is for the fiscal year that began last October. We're already way late. Um, this could have been done ages ago, and 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 practically it was done ages ago, and nothing's really changed. I guess it just sort of speaks to the overall dysfunction of this Congress and divided government and all that. Um, but boy, um, what a struggle to get nowhere new. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously the chaos that we've seen in the House over the you know past six, eight months is is the reason that this was not done earlier. You know, I think Speaker McCarthy was really operating in a day-to-day, week-to-week survival mindset, which is why after the debt limit deal, he was facing a lot of heat from the right and he wanted to calm that down by pursuing lower spending levels, which you know, we've reported on a lot during the House appropriations process. They were going under the caps in the deal. But, you know, October happens and McCarthy's no longer the speaker. And we have a new speaker coming up to speed. He's left with an absolute mess, is how I would put it, uh, in the conference with disarray and, um, you know, it, it, trying to get everything figured out as he became the speaker. And, and he was trying to get a better deal for Republicans than the, you know, he wanted to be able to point to some wins for Republicans and a final appropriations deal past the debt limit agreement. And that's what he's trying to do. That's a good point because these are kind of the spending limits that got Kevin McCarthy in trouble and helped lead to his ouster. Right. And, and now they're backing the uh, essentially the same deal <laughs> under Mike Johnson, I don't hear talk of, of trying to oust Mike Johnson. It seems like they're going to try to give him some running room still. But that is the danger for him, right? Because now he's got his right flank is is going to be plenty angry at this, just as they were under Kevin McCarthy. And they're upset about the NDAA. And they're upset about, they're going to be upset about fiscal 25 appropriations. And yeah, you know, he's in a tough, that, that's happy. right. He's in a tough position now, and 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 now the and the razor thin House majority is getting even smaller after Kevin McCarthy left, and another member is supposed to leave this month. Uh, we're down to a one or two seat margin here that that Mike Johnson has to tackle. That this is a tough road to hoe. So I I guess where we need to focus now is what happens now, right? I mean, now the end of next week is the deadline for this first slate of of, of spending bills. January nineteen is the is the first deadline under the staggered stopgap plan they that we've got in effect, and and the final deadline for all the rest of federal agencies is February second. There's there's almost no time here to get final appropriations bills done now, even under these new top line numbers. What happens? Can they get it done in just a, a couple of weeks? So I, I mean I think the, the the clear answer is no. Um, I mean, they're going to have to have another continuing resolution 
to extend spending. There has been, you know, as, as Aiden has reported, there has been talk of, um, uh, of, of doing a continuing resolution into March to give them time to uh, put these bills together. Um, I, I just very quickly, I want to go back to our uh, to the issue of winners and losers because there's something we haven't talked about, and that is um, this this is a good deal for Democrats too. I, I mean, it's it's not that much different, especially in terms of this year's spending. Um, and the if if a, you know there 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 was there was doubt about whether Republicans would really negotiate renegotiate a top line deal uh, because, you know, in the debt limit increase, you know, which provided the spending levels, you know, there is this sequester provision um, so that if 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 the bills are not um, uh, if full year bills are not passed, there are these automatic spending cuts. Um, and depending how it worked, those would affect defense and non-defense differently. But Democrats really did not want to see these automatic spending cuts go into effect. There were some Republicans who would not have minded that. So, yeah, so this deal, you know, is not that much different than, than the previous one. And, you know, Democrats certainly, I mean, can be happy that they preserved most of it. And the, and, and so, you know, have, have a good chance now of avoiding these automatic spending cuts, although to avoid them, these bills will have to uh, be passed in four-year form. Aiden, do you agree? You think we're looking at another stopgap measure? Um... Oh, of course. Yeah, it's it's. There's not enough time to do full-year appropriations in a week, two weeks. You know, until the January nineteenth deadline, um, they will definitely need a stopgap spending measure, um, which will be interesting to see over the next two weeks how they negotiate that and where we end up on on that. But I think the bigger issue moving forward right now is policy matters. I think we have to really focus on those as we talk about this deal, because yes, it's a top line deal. Yes, appropriation staff are going to be really busy in January, getting to work on hammering out. Um, I mean, for us, the allocations by bill, the 302Bs, those are not set yet. So that's the first step, um, which will take some time. And then obviously negotiating policy matters will be, essential and not easy. I, I think that it, we're far from a passage of final appropriations, um, especially since the House GOP and Democrats are so far apart on what policies they want to see in these bills. That's really an excellent point, actually. We haven't mentioned that, but but one way they got this deal is they avoided the fight over policy riders, right? They completely punted on that. And even as the Democratic leaders Sunday were were you know lauding this deal, they sent a sharp warning to Johnson in that in their statement saying we won't accept any poison pill riders in these appropriations bills, and and Johnson in his letter to his caucus said he's going to fight for important conservative priorities or some language to that effect. So the fight over policy is still going to rage, right? That's everything from abortion restrictions, environmental rules. All of this stuff that can that can stymie appropriations bills uh, regularly are battles still to be fought over. That has to slow things down uh, for the, for these final appropriations bills. And as you say, you know, there's the twelve annual bills, and we still don't even have the the allocations for each of the bills yet. 
which you need before you can even fight over the individual bills. I mean, this whole process, which was supposed to be done by last September, now sort of just gets kicked into gear, even though even though each appropriations committee has passed out its own versions uh, of bills, but we knew those were never going to become law. In terms of these final bills, this process is just getting started, and here we are in January. Uh, yet again, not a good sign. Seems to me they'll be lucky even to get this done uh, by March at this point, right? Yeah, and you know, as you mentioned here, these the really big you know disagreement on policy riders between the two sides, and you know, appropriators who have worked on this process in the past say that typically you know policy riders are agreed to with the top line. It's part of the top line agreement is often that there will be no changes to the so-called legacy riders, you know, which is what you need to get the ball the ball rolling here. That's what Democrats are pushing for. It's what Republicans have pushed for when they were in the minority. Um, but House Republicans are saying, we, you know, we have no agreement on riders and we're going to fight for some conservative policies in these bills, um, which could give Johnson a chance to, you know, at least calm down the negativity from the Freedom Caucus so it's a little bit. I mean, they're still not going to vote for this at the end of the day, but um, there's a real fight about policy matters coming up that is a significant roadblock, I would say, till to wrapping up fiscal 24. And unlike last year, right, when, when the House was able to pass some of its own spending bills in a strict party line vote, um, that ain't going to happen now because uh, there's no way that the Freedom Caucus is going to sign on to this. Uh, they don't like these spending levels. There's going to have to be bipartisan support for any bill they bring to the floor now. Um, they won't be able to pass a rule that would be needed for these bills on their own, just Republicans. So they have to have a bipartisan support for each bill going forward, even to get them to the floor. Uh, this is going to be messy. And, and then even within beyond the policy fights, there's funding fights, right? I mean, there's still going to be all the battles over each of these bills with some with some conservative priorities that Republicans want to see in there in terms of some funding levels. You know, does Amtrak get slashed or not get slashed that that have been that have been brewing for months? Um, none of that is resolved. We should we should note here. So there is a tough slog ahead. And I just want to touch on uh, the elephant in the room which is still unaddressed in this deal so far, but who knows if it gets merged. And that is also hanging out there is this supplemental emergency spending package that they want to pass, aid to Ukraine, aid to Israel, aid to Taiwan, and border security. And that is a top priority for a lot of these guys uh, for, for different reasons from both parties. Democrats desperately want to see the Ukraine funding now. Both parties essentially want to see Israel funded, but they're locked in this deal over border security. And we just saw James Lankford, the top Senate Republican negotiator, promise we're going to see legislative text on a border security plan this week, he said. He said that Sunday. Um, I don't know if that's just wishful thinking or, or a realistic prediction. We're not sure, but they do seem as though they're moving towards some kind of border deal now, but that's going to be a messy fight on its own. And that's going to, if that happens, seems to me that sucks up a lot of time and energy in January. 
uh, that could shift the focus off of these appropriations bills because they really want to get this supplemental package done. Any thoughts on where we are on that supplemental package? Because, boy, that's going to if they get going on that now and we have to wage a fight on that. I mean, I think appropriations again takes a back seat, assuming they can get some kind of stopgap measure passed, I guess. It's a real it's a real big question because the the Speaker Johnson, you know, has has been very definitive in saying that uh, that in order to that the House will not pass a Ukraine aid bill um, unless there are major changes in border policy. And it's it's hard to see Democrats accepting the level of changes that he wants. So <clears throat> there are a couple different ways you could go. You could end up with no border policy bill being passed and no Ukraine aid being passed. Um, or you could end up with a, a deal coming out of the Senate, which is um, which is acceptable to Democrats in the House uh, and enough Republicans in the House to pass it on a bipartisan basis. And I mean, it's still I think it's still possible that that this supplemental stuff gets merged into a, an appropriations package at some point. I mean, you've got. House Republicans screaming that they're they're willing to you know the 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 far right Republicans screaming they're willing to shut down the government if they don't get a border security plan, so these things could could end up merging. Although Aiden, do you think that's likely at this point or unlikely? That is a good question that I have not really put too much thought into in the past uh, forty eight hours. I mean, I think. Unlikely, I would say. I mean, I think that the supplemental is not going anywhere and appropriations is going somewhere. So I think that I, – I just – I think as Paul said, I don't really see the House putting the Senate's bill on the floor. Um, I, I don't see it. So so we'll see. Maybe maybe it'll change. But I think that you know appropriations will move it separately from this supplemental package, which – I just I have a really hard time imagining how it passes the House. Paul, what's your educated guess here? Well, yeah, I, I don't really have a guess, but I will say that I mean, there are some conservative voices who, from a political point of view, do not want Republican and Democratic agreement on a border package because you know, number one, they say whatever Democrats agree to is not going to be good enough, and number two, if Republicans strike a deal with Democrats on a border package then that sort of takes the issue away and makes Republicans complicit in the, uh, the Biden border policy. Um, so, I mean, I think there's a very good chance that there is no border agreement and no Ukraine aid. Um, but, um, but uh, you know, I, I can't make a prediction on that. All right. Well, there is a lot to ha- that has to happen here uh, this month. So hang on to something is all I can say, because um, we're in for a rocky ride here with very little time left to do some really big things. And we're going to be really busy. But that's all the time we have for today. If you like what you heard here, you can subscribe to the CQ Budget newsletter, which hits your inbox every morning that Congress is in session. You can find that at CQ.com. You can find all of our coverage on the budget and taxes and more at CQ.com or on RollCall.com. 
My thanks again to Aiden Quigley and Paul Krozak for joining me. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. We'll be back next week.